Well, when it all goes down, we need to go park our trucks at the end of the road, under the train trestle, and keep everyone in town from coming out here and robbing us blind. To my shame, after living where I do for 28 years, I had never met the nice neighbor lady who said this, even though she had also lived up the road from our house for just as long. Some of us are talking about getting organized, she said. I smiled and nodded while inside my head I couldn't help but think that there are way too many zombie apocalypse movies available. However, my observations of this lady were that she was anything but crazy. She was quite rational and appeared normal. After being involved in law enforcement for 26 years, I've known many people that were not normal. At most, this lady just seemed a little worried about some safety and security aspects of her life based on what she's observed going on in the world around her. Like many, she'd made a little bit of a logic leap in assuming that world events were all leading to some sort of apocalyptic ending. Growing up in the 1960s and 70s, it was hard to miss the Cold War. In the early stages of the Cold War in the 1950s, many people built fallout shelters and stocked them with food, water, first aid kits, and flashlights. A really deluxe model shelter, complete with a telephone, could be installed for you for around $5,000. My question, who was it they intended to make a telephone call to after the bomb went off? Well, a lot of people took steps in the years preceding December 31, 1999. They did that to avoid being overcome by the Y2K bug. The world was supposed to shut down and anarchy would rule because of a computer programming glitch. The Y2K bug became a regular topic at the church my family was attending at the time. Steps were taken to prepare for the worst. But, as many wrote books on the subject and profited from the threat, my wife and I bought a few extra pounds of rice and beans and then ate them over the next few months while the lights remained on and the water continued to flow. People are still moving to remote areas, building underground shelters, and stockpiling food and weapons in preparation for what they believe will be anarchy as a result of economic and government meltdown. They're doing everything they can to survive the calamity that they believe will one day come. An estimated 14.8 million Mormons in the world, to different degrees, follow the teachings of their apostles and prophets that have said making such preparations is the wise thing to do. The Bible contains many words of wisdom regarding preparing for what may come in the future, especially when it comes to preparing for one's eternal future. Jesus left us with some specific instructions what to do if you happen to be living in the region of Judea during the last days. The book of Luke records additional details given during the Olivet Discourse, which add to the picture of what will occur during the abomination of desolation. Jerusalem will be surrounded by the armies of the Antichrist. Here's what Luke has to say in Luke 21:20. Now, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. The act of the abomination of desolation that we've talked about for a couple of podcasts now will be accompanied by Jerusalem being surrounded by, quote, armies, unquote. These armies will be under the control of the Antichrist who will cause the abomination of desolation to occur. An overwhelming outside military presence in Israel would be necessary to control that nation. 
They are a nuclear-capable nation with a world-class military force and would never willingly allow something like the events of the abomination of desolation without first being completely taken over and controlled. They have positioned themselves to, quote, never again, unquote, allow a Masada-like situation. Masada was a mountaintop fortress constructed by Herod the Great in Israel between 37 and 31 B.C. In 73 A.D., Roman armies surrounded Masada. 960 members of a zealous Jewish splinter group known as the Sakari and their families had taken refuge there. In the end, these last inhabitants of Masada chose the path of murder and suicide rather than being taken by the Romans. This event gave birth to a saying in Israel, Never again Masada. They will never again willingly allow themselves to be put in a position where this type of situation could occur. It would take a very deceptive covenant, along with overwhelming military strength, to ever allow something like this again to take place. The Daniel passages that are associated with the abomination of desolation strongly indicate that the Antichrist will be a military man or at least have access to a great military force. Daniel chapter 11 is for the most part a prophecy concerning several military campaigns. However, although most of these military campaigns were in Daniel's future, and because of the cyclical nature of prophecy they may be in ours, they are now also historical events belonging to the 2nd century B.C. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, however, the period being referred to clearly changes to the end of the age, when those who were alive during the time of the end of the age see the armies of the Antichrist surrounding Jerusalem, they need to recognize that desolation is at hand. Make no mistake, this is not a sign that will be difficult to confuse with other events which have happened throughout history if one is watching. That is why Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse, is about to give specific direction to his disciples as to what to do when it occurs. What should the people who are in Judea do when they see or hear of this sign? It's clear in all three Gospels. Matthew 24:16, Mark 13:14, the second half of it, and Luke 21:21, 21, 21, the first part of it, all say the exact same thing. That's this. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is a geographically specific statement. It's specific instructions for those living in Judea, not anywhere else, and for the time they are specifically surrounded by the armies of the Antichrist. Judea covers an area of about 2,000 square miles in the southernmost region of Palestine. It's about 55 miles long from Bethlehem to Beersheba, and from 20 to 30 miles broad. Judea includes Jerusalem, the city that will be surrounded by the armies of the Antichrist. Much of Judea sits in what's currently known as the Palestinian-controlled West Bank. This passage is not intended to mean that when the Antichrist surrounds Jerusalem, Everyone else around the world should head for the hills. Jerusalem is the city under attack and will be the focus of the Antichrist as the end draws near. This passage does not mean, and let those who are in Los Angeles flee to your bunker you have prepared in the Rocky Mountains of Montana. Being watchful one day may cause followers of Jesus to run away. 
It may require others to stay put. Some will be called to survive until they see the Lord return in splendor. Others will meet Him in the air anyway, after they spring out of their newly dug graves in their resurrected eternal bodies. If you're in Jerusalem right now and looked around, and only knew of Jesus' instructions to flee to the mountains, it might not be obvious which way to go. Jerusalem sits at a high point in Israel, yet there are mountains all over Israel. A great deal of them are remote and in desolate reasons, away from the population. Jerusalem will be surrounded. According to prophecy, the Antichrist armies will mainly be camped on the coastal plains to the west. The Judean mountains encompass Jerusalem, Hebron, Bethlehem, and Ramallah. They are mainly in Palestinian-controlled territory of the West Bank. On the east side of the mountains is the Dead Sea. To the south of the Dead Sea lies the ancient city of Petra, a city carved in stone. It's not specifically mentioned in the Bible, but Petra is a place often thought of as where the remnant of Israel will flee. I believe that a large number of those in Judea may initially flee south to the area beyond Petra to where a mountain called Jabal Alaz near the Saudi Arabia-Jordanian border lies. Why do I believe this? Because a superior case can be made that Jebel Alaz, or what the locals call the Mountain of Moses, is the real Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law from God. It's the mountain where the glory of God once dwelled and miraculously provided and protected his people. It's from there that through Moses God led his people to Jerusalem, and it's from there that I believe one day Jesus will again lead a remnant of Israel who will accept him as their Messiah upon his return to this earth, back to Jerusalem. Perhaps even being led by a pillar of fire and a cloud, just as the ancient Israelites were. He will supernaturally provide and protect them as they go. By the time they reach Jerusalem, the robes of Jesus are said in prophecy to be red with the blood of his enemies that he has slain. The study of what happens upon Jesus' return is an exciting one. I'll bet these things don't sound familiar to you at all. There's many things that are going to happen during his coming, or parousia. The rescue, or rapture, of his elect is only one of those events. We'll talk about that event in the next few podcasts. However, the topic of the rest of the events that occur is a large one and outside the scope of this current series. Time will tell where those that heed Jesus' instructions will go when they flee. It'll largely depend on which route is clear of enemies and what type of transportation they have available to them at the time. The instructions of Jesus become more detailed for those living in Judea. All of the following passages are stressing how important it is to act extremely quickly. This is from Matthew 24, verses 17 to 20. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let the one in the field return back to take his clothes. And how awful for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Mark chapter 13 verses 15 to 18 put it this way. And let the one who is on the housetop not go down to either enter or to take anything out of his house. And let the one who is in the field not go back to take his clothes. And how awful it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. And pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. 
And finally, Luke chapter 21, verses 21b, the second half of 21, to 23a, the first half of 23, says this, And let those who are in the middle of it leave, and let the ones who are out in the country not go in. For these are the days of vengeance, that all that is written may be fulfilled. And how awful for pregnant women and those who are nursing in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and punishment upon its people. First, notice how Jesus refers to all that is written may be fulfilled. Jesus is referring to many, many Old Testament prophecies. Well, to state the obvious, this is not a call by Jesus for people to stand their ground and be martyred for his namesake. Jesus stresses urgency and danger in order to motivate people to act quickly to save their physical lives. Jesus, loving his followers, would naturally want them to avoid the calamity that's to follow. The reference to rooftops is not only giving advice to those who are in the roofing business, but in the days that this was written, people spent a lot of time on their roofs. They were flat and can be compared to what we know as a deck or a patio, usually with some kind of a railing or uh, built around it. People would use them as kitchens and cook on them and spend a good deal of their time interacting on them in the open air. The importance of fleeing quickly is stressed when Jesus instructs those fleeing to leave all their possessions behind, even those possessions as important and basic as their clothing that can protect them from the elements. Extra clothes or a coat would be especially important in the winter, which is why Jesus would advise the one fleeing to pray that your flight not take place in the winter. The simple reason for not wanting to flee in winter is because one may find themselves fighting hypothermia as they try to survive in the cold, desolate mountains without shelter or the clothing they have been forced to leave behind. Jesus appears to be prioritizing for his followers and asking those that will heed his warning to have a little faith. He's saying two things. The most important thing is to get out of Jerusalem and get out of Jerusalem and leave your survival after that to me. It should be clear that Jesus is not giving any indication of when this event will take place. According to the words he chose, it appears he didn't know. It's also really important to understand the similarities and connection of those fleeing Judea in the future to the Hebrews who had to quickly flee Egypt and get away from the Pharaoh, another head of the Antichrist beast we've talked about in previous podcasts. They did that hundreds of years before. In fact, the Pharaoh was likely the first head of the beast and Egypt the first beast empire. We're told the Hebrews didn't even have time to let their bread dough rise before they baked it. You can read about their escape in Exodus chapter 12. Why it's important to understand the Exodus from Egypt is because there are many similarities between the story of the plagues of Egypt and the Exodus with the judgments of God that he'll pour out on the kingdom of the Antichrist in the end. More importantly, there are similarities in how God took care of the Israelites during the Exodus and how he'll take care of and provide for them during what's called the Day of the Lord in the future. Why would Jesus also instruct the one fleeing to pray that their flight not take place on the Sabbath? First, this is a good indication that primarily Jews will still inhabit Judea during the prophetic future time. The Sabbath is still very different for Jews and the Judaism that drives the culture in Israel. 
What's important that takes place on the Sabbath in Judea is what does not take place on the Sabbath in Judea, transportation and commerce. To this day, Jerusalem all but shuts down except for emergency services on the seventh day of the week, which is still, at least technically, set apart for God. With a population of over three-quarters of a million people living in Jerusalem, it'd be very difficult to flee even on a day when all basic services were operating. How much more difficult would it be when surrounded by enemy armies and no public transportation or services were going on? Jesus points out how difficult it will be for nursing mothers and pregnant women during this time. Although he does not mention the group, I imagine the same could be said for the elderly, the disabled, and those who are taking care of the elderly and disabled. It's not difficult to see why it would be difficult for pregnant and nursing mothers to leave home without stopping to pack clothes or food. It wasn't so long ago that I can't remember how long it took to leave the house when preparing to go somewhere for even a few hours with our kids when they were really small. How much more difficult it would be to leave your home for good with no sure destination in mind. When my wife and I went camping in remote areas in the mountains for only a few days, even without small children, we sometimes spent weeks and hundreds of dollars in preparation, making sure we had the proper equipment, food, and supplies. Being ready for any kind of weather, planning for shelter, sanitation, and toilet needs, being able to navigate and communicate in unfamiliar country, having tires that will withstand unforgiving roads. So adding in and taking care of a baby or a small child creates many other layers of preparation. A mother leaving home with their small children unprepared is enough to consider. But Jesus has something more in mind here. The dreadfulness he's referring to has far more meaning to it than simply being unprepared to take on the elements and cope with hunger and dirty diapers. He re-emphasized this warning to mothers again as he was on his way to die on the cross. This is from Luke chapter 23 verses 27 to 29. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Jesus was referring to Old Testament prophecy prophecy that was fulfilled before, but due to the cyclical nature of things, Jesus was referring to what would be fulfilled again, perhaps more than once. The Old Testament is full of documentation that records God's disappointment with Israel when they turned away from Him to others. Because of the covenant of death Israel will enter into in the end of days with the Antichrist, God will again allow them to fall into the hands of the enemy. The words of the Old Testament prophecy will again be fulfilled. What was Jesus referring to when he said, For these are days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled? The books of Isaiah and Hosea hold some of the answer to this question. Here's what Hosea wrote. Samaria shall become desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. That's found in Hosea chapter 13, verses 1 through 4.
verse 16. Hosea contains a gruesome prophecy that's been fulfilled several times in history as documented in the Old Testament. Jesus again ties this type of unspeakable event to the time of the end. How important this makes it to flee without hesitation once those in Judea witness the sign Jesus is speaking about. Horrific acts such as a pregnant woman being ripped open and child being dashed in pieces are very illustrative of why Jesus goes on to say the following. This is found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. For then there will be such exceedingly great anguish, such has not been since the beginning of the world, or ever will be. Mark 13, 19 says this, For in those days there will be such anguish, such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created until now, or ever will be. And finally, Luke 21, the second part of verse 23, says this, For there shall be great distress in the land, and passionate violence on this people. For those that would say that the gruesome and violent prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled, I would say in light of this scripture, it doesn't matter. Whatever terrible things took place in history, it's still not as bad as what's going to take place during the period of time Jesus is talking about in the future. Think briefly about all of the terrible things that have occurred in history. Pick a war. Choose a holocaust. The period of time Jesus is referring to will be worse. It will come at the hand of the Antichrist who becomes enraged and turns himself against the covenant. It's at this point, 1260 days after entering into the covenant, which is the midpoint of the seven-year period, that the Antichrist very purposefully begins persecuting Jews and Christians. The book of Revelation speaks about this specific event. It appears that the Antichrist becomes a direct tool or puppet of Satan. Please read Revelation chapter 12 verses 9 to 17 and notice that when Satan is hurled down to the earth, he's given 1260 days to go after and persecute the Jews, which is referred to as the woman, and Christians, who are the ones who hold to the testimony of Jesus. This persecution takes place during the second half of the seven-year period. It's the time known as the Great Tribulation, or as some call it, the time of Jacob's trouble. The good news in all of this is that even though God allows Israel to be punished for their unfaithfulness, He will eventually rescue them once and for all. Jeremiah chapter 30 verses 4 to 7 tells us, These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, We have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas! That day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. Please read all of Jeremiah chapter 30, which talks about the time of Jacob's trouble or distress. And note that the closing words, verse 24, are, In the latter times you will understand this. 
This statement indicates that this passage was written for the latter times. And although something like the events mentioned may have occurred in history, the ultimate cycle in latter times is yet to take place. Let's move on. This is Luke chapter 21, verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and will be led away captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be crushed underfoot by the nations until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That's correct. As shocking as it may seem after all the suffering the Jews have already endured with the Holocaust, according to Jesus, a horrific time of persecution still lies ahead. According to this prophecy, anyone not taking the advice of Jesus to quickly flee, but instead remains in Jerusalem, will either be killed or taken captive and deported to all nations. Jerusalem will then remain under the control of the Antichrist until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's a good biblical basis to think that a large number of Jews from Israel will be deported and imprisoned in Egypt, where their Messiah, Jesus, will rescue them from during his second exodus. The times of the Gentiles being fulfilled mentioned in this passage may be referring to the time that Jerusalem is occupied by Gentiles, but it also undoubtedly refers to the same thing I've previously talked about, which is the mystery Paul wrote about and the fullness of the Gentiles. It will be a huge event when the times of the Gentiles and the mystery is complete. In the book of Revelation, when the seventh angel written of by John will blow his trumpet, it will be 1260 days or three and a half years after the abomination of desolation has taken place. That's when the time of the Gentiles will be ended and the kingdom of heaven will be established on this earth. Listen to this passage from Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. When that angel plays his trumpet, it's to announce that billions of prayers have been answered. That prayer, thy kingdom come. That's the time all of us who are sick and tired of this world's systems, governments, and politics are waiting for. That event is the ultimate answer to all of our prayers and crying out to please fix this world. But before that happens, things are going to get really bad. Let's read about it in Matthew 24, verse 22. And except those days be cut short, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the chosen, those days will be cut short. Mark 13 verse 20 puts it this way, And except that the Lord cuts short those days, no one will be saved. But for the elect's sake, who he has chosen, he has cut short those days. So terrible are the days predicted by Jesus to come that he says no one would survive except those days be cut short or shortened for the sake of those who have been chosen by God, the one Jesus calls the elect. Those days that Jesus is referring to are the ones written about in Revelation chapter 12 where a specific number of days are given to the serpent, Satan, to do his worst knowing that he has only a short time left to have his way with this world. Cutting short those days for the sake of the elect, 
means that the elect or the chosen of God will not have to endure the full length of those days that Satan was given to do his worst. 1260 days will remain until the end of the age after the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. God will rescue those he has set apart or chosen for himself sometime during that second half of the seven-year period. That rescue is what we soon will see in the next verses that follow. It's what commonly is referred to as the rapture. It'll occur simultaneously with the second coming of Jesus, the Messiah. We'll talk about that event in the next podcast. For now, in summary, halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist will surround Jerusalem with a great military presence and break the covenant he has made. He'll commit the act of the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, Jesus, and the Apostle Paul. When this occurs, those living in the region of Judea should take it as a hard sign to leave that area immediately, leaving all possessions behind, and flee to the mountains. What follows this event will be the most horrific time in all history. So terrible will be the persecution and death of those future days that no one would survive if not for God intervening directly for the sake of those he's called to be set apart for himself. Although the Antichrist will have been given a set amount of time, which is 1260 days, to rule over the earth by force, those days of persecution will be, quote, cut short, unquote, for the sake of those whom God has chosen. Well, enough already with the Antichrist and persecution. The next few podcasts will be devoted to the glorious event of Jesus' return and the rescue of his followers. Until then, God bless and Maranatha. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries. And I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com. Or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless.